The church is a redemptive community, and we live not only the experience of redemption, meaning I'm redeemed, you know, my sins are paid for at the cross, and I'm being redeemed. The power of sin is lessened and lessened in my life by the power of spirit. So we're this redemptive community living that experience, but we also, the works of redemption uh, we're a part of. I'm redeeming. That's why our mission is both words and works, speaking, speaking. and doing. Yeah, exactly. And so if, if we're working out our salvation through being redeemed and redeeming, then our response to cultural issues is not to abstain from them, but to be a part of the redemption of those things that God originally created as good. So that only pushes us to maturity by yeah. teaching us how to eat and drink and to have sex to the glory of God. But it's also a witness to the world that God is a redeemer. So uh. there's a lot of stuff in our life. We, we often say like all sin really is something God created good and yeah. we perverted for selfishness or our glory. So do we abstain from that and just let the world go to hell, literally? Or do we enter in and say, no, 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 this is what redemption of that would look like. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Hey, family. Hope you're doing well and experiencing and celebrating God's grace and His goodness today. We sure are. It's been a busy week of coaching here for Tina and I. We have, in the last couple weeks, onboarded a new coaching cohort, helping people grow in their gospel fluency and put together systems and frameworks for multiplying disciple makers and communities that make disciples and all that. We love that work so much. It is the best thing to see folks' eyes beginning to open up to a much bigger gospel and a way of living that, as the church that we get to do. And of course, that includes our various expressions together and congregations and all. But boy, oh boy, it's awesome when you live the other six days and 22 hours a week on mission, guided by the Spirit. Oh, awesome. Love it. Hope that's what you're experiencing as well. If you're interested at all in having some help in learning how to do that, that's why we do the coaching we do. And I would love to get together with you, maybe put together a Zoom call, explain a little bit of the coaching, how it might help you or your church start to set up discipleship environments and systems and give you all the tools you need to do that. Of course, that all starts in the mirror. That starts for you as the leaders and family members and at your table, and then it moves outward as you multiply that out into more and more people. Love to help you be able to do that. If you're interested at all, let's set up a call, get together. You can learn more about that and even set up that Zoom call by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. That's everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. Now, before we get started, let me read a review that came in. This one's from Brian's Brian means, I'm not sure how you, anyway, he says, amen, five stars, awesome, thank you. Thank you for expressing a voice that has been absent in cultural conversations for way too long. I appreciate the consistent, logical application of the gospel to every aspect of life and the relaxed and sometimes humorous conversation of how this really is good news. For anyone questioning whether the Bible is still applicable and relevant to today's culture, please, please listen to this podcast. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks for encouraging us and paying it forward to encourage others to also check out the podcast. 
If you're listening to me right now, would you do me a favor? Would you just pick up your phone? Probably that's what you're listening on, or maybe you've got one next to you. Would you share the podcast with a friend? Would you do that? Would you say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast for a while, really encouraging. Maybe there's a specific episode that you know someone needs to hear. Maybe it's just the current one. Would you send them over to everydaydisciple.com? And if you know the episode number, just slash, like this one's 357, everydaydisciple.com forward slash 357. Or you can just send them to everydaydisciple.com. They'll find the podcast. Go ahead, do that. I'll wait. Well, not really. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to wait, but I'm going to trust that you'll do that. That's the number one way people find new podcasts and are encouraged to check out things like this. I hope you'll do that for them, for us, and we'll keep moving forward with making disciples together. And be sure to join us over on Facebook in our Facebook group. Nice size group there, thousands of people checking it out every week. You can ask questions in there. You can bring comments. You can bring up anything to do with mission, discipleship, the gospel in all of life, any of that. Go check it out. You can go directly. There's another, of course, link for that, everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook. Or just when you're in Facebook, just search it up, Everyday Disciple Podcast. All right, today I want to discuss partying and celebration according to the gospel. We've got holidays coming up here pretty soon, depending on when you're listening to this, but we've got a whole lot of holidays coming up. Folks are back together this year again, like maybe not in the last couple years, but it's just that time of year. And I, I want to talk about how much our God, our Father, loves to party, and he wants his kids to celebrate and show others what he's truly like through our celebrations and our generosity, how we treat others. That's his heart. I want to talk about that today. And I'm going to bring on my buddy Heath. You remember Heath. You know Heath. You hear him at the top of the show every week. As we discuss celebration and the gospel and God's heart in all of that. Take a listen to this. I know we got a lot to get to today. Yes. Because partying is a massive part of the gospel. So um, It really is. It would be super easy for us to throw out a comment like, God loves to party and not back it up throughout Scripture. Uh, would you mind taking us back a bit through the text to see like, if God does have a proven track record of celebrating? <laughs> Absolutely, he does. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to have to move a little quick here at the beginning, just because there's so much. Like we could do, you know, literally we could do a seven-part series on this sure. or something. But So probably people know, if you've read the whole Bible, you've read the whole thing, God mandates for Israel a, a series of annual festivals and celebrations to be participated in together as a community in rhythm. So every year without fail. Sure. It was part of the law. It was kind of, he says, here's how my family will roll. And so there was hmm. these festivals and they all served as reminders of how the people would actually live out their lives every day. Hmm not just during the festival. Sure. Makes sense. So like, here's this series of festivals that are all going to show you something about what I'm like yep. and how you get to live. That's awesome. Right. Man. So I yeah. mean, that was, that was baked right into the rhythm. So, I mean, check this out. Le Leviticus 23 says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which are, you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Hmm. And, and, and then check out, he adds right to it. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh, the Sabbath of rest a day of sacred assembly. So, you know, don't work, but wherever you live, it's a Sabbath. So the first thing, even connected to these seven celebrations, God sort of says, here's the umbrella that goes all over it. He commands a weekly celebration. That's so cool. A weekly Sabbath. It's a day of rest, and it's the most mandated of all the celebrations. Like Sabbath 
comes up in the law and throughout scripture more than anything else. Huh. Okay. That's cool. So what's the gospel picture in that? Well, it's a way of showing that we rest in his care and provision and his ultimate provision in Christ, not in our own. Hmm. And so ultimately the Sabbath, like understanding that and living that and seeing it as celebration, right. not just as cessation of work or labor, right. is the most important of all the celebrations. It sort of assumes the others. Because hmm. if we're not believing the gospel and resting in him and his provision, then the rest of these, they really don't have the weight in the character of yeah, God. Yeah, sure. In them that, that makes sense. Here, right? So I ask, you know, I often ask people, how are you doing it at, at having a regular rhythm of Sabbath hmm. and, and Sabbath celebration? That's a great question, dude. <laughs> it's hard, right? Yeah, we, you know, we think of Sabbath as a day. Well, it was, but it was the point behind it was, do you understand the gospel? Yeah, do you understand? To remind you that yeah. you get to rest. And you get to celebrate me, yeah. not you. Yeah, you know, that's cool. In my provision, right? So anyway, so then God goes on in verse four there of Leviticus 23. He says, so these are the appointed feasts, the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies that you're to proclaim. Now here's where I'm gonna go through them faster. These are seven. Some of them lasted a day or two. Some of them lasted for like a week or more. Sure. Okay. But they all were like this huge picture of what God was like and a demonstration of how they got to live. So keep keep that like as your filters, okay? Okay. So the first one that's listed here is the Passover. And we, we know, uh, if we know the story at all, the Passover and that festival and feast was them celebrating God's deliverance from slavery. Right. Back when they were slaves for 400 years in Israel. And then, you know, all the plagues with Pharaoh and all that, right? Yep. So it's the Passover. That's the first one. They're supposed to celebrate every year. What's the gospel picture there? It looks forward to Christ completely fulfilling everything in us for us and rescuing us and it's trusting even though this sounds crazy like okay you're gonna kill a lamb you're gonna put its blood under what you know yeah. trusting in god's plan of deliverance in christ's shed blood that's mm. what the passover is all about it's cool it's a release from slavery slavery of what human bondage yeah that's what they were right wow so that's the first one. Second one the, the festival or feast of unleavened bread now, this one we're not as familiar with, so I'm just going to have to summarize, but there's a lot in there. You can go and read it, though, but it's the, it's a preparation uh, for searching and removing the leaven, which is like yeast, from your house, and it actually began uh, before Passover. So the wife, she goes throughout the house, and she would uh, clean the house and remove any leaven from it. And in the Bible, leaven is always symbolic of sin, okay? Hmm. So in cleaning the house, the wife's instructed to purposely leave 10 small pieces of leaven, though, in the house. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And then the father takes the children along with a candle, a wooden spoon, and a feather. <laughs> Look at the visuals yeah, here. That's amazing. And a piece of linen cloth. And then him and the kids search through the house to try to find these 10 pieces of leaven. And by nightfall on the day before Passover, a final and like really thorough search of the house is performed. And at that time then, the house is completely dark. Wow. Except for candles. Now once the father and the kids find all the leaven, he sets the candle down by the leaven and he lays the wooden spoon besides the leaven, the yeast, the little balls of yeast. Then he uses the feather to sweep the leaven, the yeast, onto the spoon. Okay. Check, check this visual here. It's amazing, the symbolism. And without touching the leaven, right? And he yeah. takes the feather and the spoon and the leaven and he wraps it all up in this linen cloth and he casts it out the door of the house. The next morning he goes into the synagogue and he puts the linen cloth and its contents into a fire and they burn it all up. Wow. Now what's this picture of? Man, people aren't getting it yet. It's the burial of Christ, huh. right? Wow. The wooden spoon represents the tree that Christ died upon. Now, remember, this originally started happening a thousand years plus. You know what I mean? Like sure. eons before the cross. The leaven, when we already said is sin, it's swept up onto the spoon, the tree, the cross, right? As part of that ceremony. So that's what's going on there. This festival, they're like, 
God was preparing their hearts yeah. for the what day that, come, yeah. that, yeah, that, 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 you know, crucifixion and burial of Christ. So third feast is the festival of first fruits. Okay. All so right. when, when they would have their, their harvest was ripe, the barley and wheat and all that was ready to be like, like harvested. That's when that happened. Okay. And so, uh, they would, they would take one sort of sheaf or big stalk from a standing harvest and they would bring it to their priest at the, at the, uh, uh, well, either at the temple or prior to that at the tabernacle, huh. right? And then that lone sort of sheaf or branch was called the, the sheaf of first fruits. And the priest was then to take this one sheaf and, and then wave it before the Lord of the house. So three times a year, God commanded the people to come to Jerusalem. Okay. They were to come back sort of to home base, spring, summer, and fall. And the reasons were to celebrate Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. All three of these were agricultural harvest festivals, okay? Hmm. Pentecost is the wheat harvest. We'll talk about the festival of Pentecost later. But both of these festivals are first fruit harvest before the final harvest, okay? And it was to come at the end of the year uh, during the festival of Tabernacles. So one's festival is even within the other one. So what's what's the gospel picture going on here? This theme of this festival of first fruits is about resurrection and salvation and new life and new beginning. Huh. And they think about it, every year you have harvest. Sure. Well, and they had three. So, but every year, and God's saying, I want you to celebrate that. I want you to actually think about it and party yeah. <laughs> around new life and provision. And it, it just yeah, keeps goodness, coming, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. think about it. Jesus is the firstborn of Mary. Jesus was the first begotten of the Father. It says that in Hebrews. He's, Jesus was the firstborn of every creature, it says in Colossians. He's the first begotten from the dead. Revelation Jeez, tells yeah. us he's the firstborn of many brethren. See, Jesus is the first fruits of all the resurrected ones. That's us now. Yeah. So they, they were partying that. They didn't even know it. Just going to town. Yeah. One of these, one of these days I want to do like a whole sort of like, here's the seven feasts and here's how they were completed in Christ. And here's the gospel. And here's a modern way we can participate in with our kids. Oh, that'd be fun. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. That'd be really cool. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if there's anything quite like that out there. So the fourth thing now, fourth festival, they were commanded like, Hey, this is part of your life rhythm was the Feast of Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost, Hmm. which was the original Pentecost was the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law. God gave it to Moses up on a mountain, right? And uh, it was amongst fire and clouds and all that. So that that was the giving of Torah. That that word is commonly translated as law in English. And it doesn't mean law like we think of the laws, like, hey, cop's going to bust you or, you know, go to jail for law. But instruction or teaching, that's really what the word Torah meant. Okay. okay, and understanding the meaning of the word Torah, we can see that the Torah was never intended, nor should it ever be understood to mean a code of like do's and don'ts. Yeah, but Pentecost, we think of it as like what New Testament, right? When uh, fire comes down, tongues, Holy yeah. Spirit, all that, right? Well, that they were there for the this same festival because it was mandated, and Jews huh. were celebrating in Jerusalem year after year after year. Okay, wow. and so what's that looking forward to? The picture of the gospel when the Spirit would come instead of the law being written on tablets. Yeah. I'm going to write my laws on your hearts on your hearts, yeah. man. And so you'll, how will you know to live in my ways and how will you discern all my word and all the things we're going to look at next week? We're going to talk about the word in the Bible. Is it fallible? Is it real? Can we trust yeah. it? You know, how would you know the spirit will illuminate that? That's right. So cool. So that was going on. They were celebrating that way back right after the giving of the law, all the way up through what we call Pentecost. Yeah. Crazy. That's amazing. I can do a whole episode on Pentecost. A uh, fifth one was the Feasts of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. Some people have heard yeah. of that. It's the new Jewish New Year. That's right? right. Okay. So here's something interesting. A theme and a term associated with the Feast of Trumpets in, he- in Hebrew is Hemelech, the king. 
And so the shofar blown on the Feast of Trumpets, which is like this horn kind of yeah, natural horn made out of ram's trumpet or whatever, yeah, is known as the last trump. Go look that up in 1 Corinthians 15. Huh. So in a flash of the eye, in the twinkling, I'm sorry, in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised. So who blows the final trumpet? Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So they would celebrate this Rosh Hashanah at the beginning of a new year, the blowing of a horn. Who blows it? God God himself. So what's the gospel in that? The resurrection from the dead and the coming of Christ. Wow. They've been celebrating this man forever. So you can see the pattern. Like there's this definite rhythm. Do you see all the different pictures too of the gospel going on here? It's a full spectrum, yeah. It's not just one monochromatic understanding. Yeah, God's going to save you, you know? Like you could pick any one of them. They're beautiful. But think about it. This was their year. Yeah. So you're telling your kids, hey, next month we're celebrating that. Yeah, Yeah, you know? It's beautiful. Okay. So you wonder, like, how did they miss it? When he came and he died and he rose again. I mean, it's all been, right? They've been celebrating. You've been partying this thing, you know? It's in your DNA. Okay. So it's Christ who will complete all things and holds the future in his control. That's what's going on with that celebration. The sixth festival was the Day of Atonement. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite ones. We do the story of God. You've been through it with me. It's yeah. The Day of Atonement is when um, the sins of the nation, they come together. It's their biggest party. They come together. And, and instead of like individual sins being sacrificed for and forgiven, yep. it was as a nation. And the high priest would go into God's actual presence in the Holy of Holies, in the... In the, in the in the tabernacle, in the tent, and he would sacrifice for the sins of the people. It was this amazing day. And then there was a second goat. He would put his hands on the second goat and he would confess all the sins of the people. And it was taken away never to be seen again. It's called the scapegoat or the word is Azazel. And so what God was doing in this is like, not only will I forgive your sins, but as a people, so this is weird because we always think of an individual gospel. Day of Atonement, their biggest party, as a people, you will all be forgiven. And then all your sins will be placed on this head of this goat and it'll be led away never to be seen again. Yeah. Sound and, familiar? Yeah. Yeah. And God is saying, hey, in the day of judgment, right? Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies as our high priest making atonement for our sins, but he'll also be our scapegoat. In other words, he, the sin has been removed. And that's a, mm. such a beautiful picture. Is not only has Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and we're forgiven, but our sins are now removed from the equation relationally. Uh, never to be seen again. Can, yeah. can you imagine like he's going like, I really do believe Jesus died for my sins, but man, I'm talking to God in prayer all the time and I just keep going over the pile, you know, yeah. the list. God's like, what sins, Heath? Yeah. God doesn't see us as the former or the, you know, well, Heath used to do this. He's like, yeah, I remember you confessed this yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, nope. No, see, that's not, that's what that whole celebration of the day atonement. Oh. And it was a big deal because when the goat would leave, oh, the high priest would come out and people would go nutty. And they had the biggest party of the year because okay. they were all forgiven and their sins were removed. Never like it doesn't come up again. Yeah. Like we're not that way with each other, are we? Not at all. I mean, think about it. Even when you've truly forgiven someone you deeply love, your wife, your kids, me, because I'm your best friend. No. <laughs> um, you, but, you know, when we hurt each other or we sin against each other, we might forgive it. Seriously. But we don't really forget it, do we? No. You it's think like 10 years there. ago, like, oh, I love that guy. But man, 10 years ago, kind of jacked me around, you know. Yeah. That and it affects the way you go in a future relationship too. Like, yeah, remember he burned me not like this God. before. Yeah. Not God. He looks at everybody clean, forgiven, sins removed. Oh, crazy. I'm going to practice this on my neighbor's dog. Send it to never be seen again, you know? <laughs> uh, okay, seventh feast. Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Sukkot. That's their final festival. Okay. And um, it's usually translated as Tabernacles okay. or the Festival of Booths. How it started was 
Um, God wanted them to celebrate and remember all the years that they traveled in the wilderness. Yeah. Right. 40, right. Like a long time. Right. Uh, and they lived in what? Booths, these yeah. little tabernacles, these coats they were called. And and when the tabernacle would move, God would move pyre, the filler, yeah. pillar of fire at night, it's pillar small, of cloud. Pillar of cloud yeah. They would pack up these coats, these booths, these little tents, and they would follow it. God huh. was their leader. He was their provision. He was their, you know, in war. He was ahead of all that. And so this thing would occur for seven days, usually September-ish, October, followed by a special eighth day. Check this out. So um, there's, a, there's a quick transition from high holidays with, with and, and had kind of a somber mood of repentance and judgment to a holiday of rejoicing and celebration mm-hmm. that last day. And the people are commanded to build this hut Okay, now they weren't living this way anymore, right? After you know they got to the promised land, sure. but they build this hut, this Sukkot or temporary dwelling, and make it their home for the week. Imagine taking a tent out back with the kids, just cardboard. <laughs> so we're gonna live it. in the backyard for a week, kids, and we're gonna think about God's provision as we travel along life, yeah. trusting Him, right? And that's what they were doing, and so they would do this, right? And it was to remember entering the promised land, and when they did that, if you remember from Scripture, that was like. They went nuts. Yeah. It was great rejoicing. It was also of God's command, build me a tabernacle where I can dwell among my people. Hmm. See, when, when God built his Sukkot, his temple, and had them build it, right? But yep. he built it. It was, he said, build me a place where I can dwell amongst the people I love. And so not only was this like, hey, when we were on the road with God for all those years, and living in tents, living in these little Sukkots, God was with us, but he also built his own so he could live with us among us and yeah. his presence dwell there in the Holy of the Holy. I mean, so, see all the imagery so going cool. on? So what's the gospel? It's this day of fulfillment. Hey, we're making it to the promise and we are going to make it. God once again makes his dwelling amongst mankind. Yeah. And that's where we're heading, man. You know, Revelation 21, it says that, right? It, yeah. You know, it says, I saw a holy city. New, that's us, okay, <laughs> by the way. The new Jerusalem, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, and from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed with her husband and I heard a loud sound a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for all the old muck is gone and passed away yeah I love that see that's where it's going and so he commanded that see, so I hope I hope you're catching I hope our listeners are catching God mandates seven festivals there's actually other ones but these are the main ones and sure it's this, it's this ongoing from all these different beautiful angles and pictures, deep visceral understanding of who he is and what he's doing in his redemption and in through his son. Yeah. Right? He mandates these festivals and celebrations to be participated year after year without fail. And they all served as a demonstration of our trusting in God for our needs and a way of showing how we rest in him. Mm. But, so it was a reminder of that, but it also was this demonstration to the rest of the world watching. And yeah. we've talked about this before that that like our even our church services all of yeah. life when we gather can be a reminder and a demonstration this comes right out of this series of feasts hmm. it was a reminder of all these things that were true about god what he was working out in the future yep and a demonstration of how you get to live in hope and rest throughout every day every yeah. week every month i love that man. i mean what if we participate in these kind of rhythms now well yeah. i don't have time for that well, we get to man look at revelation this is our future our future is it giant celebration right right isn't it amazing to know that's how it all ends yeah like, like sorry You're to tell you sorry to ruin the movie all the time <laughs> sorry to ruin it for you but anyway okay so uh i know a lot of people who tend to take the abstaining or maybe even the retracting from culture approach or stance to celebrating what would you say to those sort of people 
Uh, yeah, and especially around certain things, like you know, certain ways of partying. Sure. And people have their list of things or do's and don'ts, and don't play cards or don't dance yeah, don't or don't dance, drink yeah. or whatever. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that. But well, I want to say this: the church, the bride, okay, is a redemptive community, and and we live not only the experience of redemption, meaning I'm redeemed, right? You know, my sins are paid for at the cross and I'm being redeemed. The power of sin is lessened and lessened in my life by the power of spirit, right? Yeah. So we're this redemptive community uh, living that experience, but we also, the works of redemption uh, we're a part of. I'm redeeming. That's why our mission is both words and works, speaking, speaking. and doing. Yeah, exactly. And so if if we're working out our salvation through being redeemed and redeeming, then our response to cultural issues is not to abstain from them, yeah. but to be a part of the redemption of those things that God originally created as good. So that only that only pushes us to maturity by yeah. teaching us how to eat and drink and to have sex to the glory of God, okay? But it's also a witness to the world that God is a redeemer. So uh-huh. there's a lot of stuff in our life. We, we often say like, all sin really is something God created good and yeah. we perverted for selfishness or our glory. Yep. So, so do we abstain from that and just let the world go to hell, literally? Mm-hmm. Or do we do we enter in and say, no, 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 this is what redemption of that would look like? Yeah. Do we just go like, well, lots of pornography in the world, so don't do it and don't talk about it? Or do we do we enter in and say, no, 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 this is what God created sex for in marriage and relationship? Yeah. And do we enter into that muck with people, not by masturbating, sure. <laughs> you know? or, or, or I'm saying, by, or by having pornography in our life, I'm sure. saying, but. But by by moving into redemptive works, yeah, yeah absolutely, it's totally possible. So, wouldn't our hope be that the pervert would throw away pornography and abuse, and and he learns to love sex with a wife? Yeah, and see that that's re- the redemptive side of it. Exactly. Yeah. Would wouldn't the glutton like get to the point of refusing to order the five piece fried chicken and, and fries, you know, a meal, yeah. and learn to order maybe you know something a little healthier? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, do you just not touch it? Cause you're like, man, you're not healthy. Yeah. Like, no, you do. Uh, Wouldn't redemption be the alcohol abuser stops drinking until drunk and learns to stop, you know, and just enjoy it after a beer or two or something. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think as long as we make the issue of abstaining or retracting from culture, sort of our thing, we actually will miss expressing and embodying redemption. Hmm. And that's, that's part of, that's part of the, why we're saved part of the gospel. Why? Because God's working out the restoration and redemption of all things through, through us. us. Yep. So as that. soon as we say like mm, abstinence there, that's the answer. You're going, so you're, So let me, get, let me get clear here with you. So the gospel can't redeem that part of our life or yeah. our culture. So what happens is as soon as I say abstinence, that's the answer here, bro. Someone else is watching going like, so the gospel's not powerful enough to redeem that. I, I wonder if it's, it's probably not powerful enough in this area. My yeah, life, sure enough. My marriage, this addiction. This it's so simple. powerful, yeah. See, we, that's what we have to be careful what we accidentally broadcast. That's right? good, man. So. You mentioned a second ago about having uh, stopping at a beer or two, and obviously on a topic like partying, the question comes up, and maybe there's some people that are even listening that go, you know, maybe we shouldn't be drinking. Maybe maybe we could stop after. Or our one denomination or two. says none. Yeah, we're not abstinence is our jam. Yeah, right? absolutely. Okay, it's our god. Uh, so, why do you think our cl- culture so closely relates celebration to the drinking of alcohol? Well, I don't know exactly. I'm sure historically we could go back and look and see, but like, I mean, since way back, I mean, think about Jesus at the wedding, (laughs) right? Peace first. Yeah. It it seems that for a very, very long time, uh, food and drink and goodness and deliciousness has all been a part of celebration. Hmm. Okay. Now, unfortunately, the things that get abused generally get the most press. Sure. And so like, 
you know, I mean, I just heard a statistic. I couldn't even believe it. I heard it yesterday on the radio. Um, 70 plus percent of Americans are overweight. 50% are obese. Like oh, what? Tough, yeah. But it was on a show about this. You know, it's like, yeah. what? So you go like, okay, so that gets a lot of press. But so it's, so we should abstain from food. Yeah. Well, we never would. Well, yeah. you gotta eat, you know. Well, yeah, but you don't have to kill yourself, right? Yeah. So we want redemption would be the goal. Sure. Right? Not 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 addiction, right? And so I think I think these things have closely been related for as long as maybe people have been. And I think um, you know, the church has kind of had three primary teachings and outlooks on all of it. They've had prohibitionist, right? The Bible teaches that alcohol consumption is totally forbidden yep. by scripture. I can't see that in there. Yeah, me neither. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. I know I know we're going to get mail and that's sure. okay. By the way, let me just pause a second and say, wherever you know, you're at, wherever someone's at on their use of alcohol, you got to go with the spirit and you got to go with your conscience, not yep. with what I tell you. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, but I, I want to give a perspective on this. The prohibitionist like teaches that it's forbidden by scripture. Okay. I think you have a hard time proving that a yeah, really hard time. Okay. And people have tried like with me and others. You can't, um, <laughs> there's the abstentionist. We already talked about that. That although the Bible, you know, doesn't expressly forbid the drinking of alcohol, the consumption of alcohol in our society is reckless. And so we have to, we can't do it. Yeah. But then we already talked about, then we're like, gosh, then we're like, we don't participate in redemption. Yeah. And then there's the moderationist that this view maintains that alcohol is permitted for Christians as long as they don't, it's consumed in moderation and in careful manner, yeah. you know? And so I think it's really has to do with the attitude and the heart behind it. Hmm. Like why, why would you go to a party? Why would you drink alcohol? Why would you not? Sure. Is it self-righteousness? Is it, I can't trust God for this or like, you know, I'm afraid of what my pastor will think or I'm afraid of what my sister, will, you know, yep. like, well, that's fear of man. That's not trusting who God says. What's uh, that's sin then? Yeah. So you're not drinking out of sin, you know. Yeah. So it's a flip side of that. Same what does Scripture say? Do all things unto Christ. First Corinthians ten thirty. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. Hmm. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do or don't do, do it all for the glory of God. Right. Yeah. And then later on in First Corinthians sixteen three, it says, "Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. That means your belief, your trust. Be of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love." So I want to tell people, hey, drink, do it in love, right? Do it to the glory of God. In other words, what's yeah. that mean? So that he be seen as accurate. Is God a drunk? No. So don't drink to that. Yeah. You know? um, do everything in love. Christ and his redemption, that's the point. So just like in all the celebrations that we saw God gave to Israel to observe, they all pointed to what God was like in the redemptive work of Christ. All things in all ways restored to the Father, faith, love, redemption. That should be our motivation for all of our celebrating. Hmm. Not abstaining, not freaking out, not, you know, not forbidding people, pro, you know, prohibiting it because that's the law. Let's put a fence around that. It's the only way to sure. save people. Put a fence around. There's no Holy Spirit. Like, mm, yeah. Careful. It's faith, love, redemption. That should be our motivation. God's glory. That's wow. the point. I right? love that, man. So one of the things that I'm wondering, and I know we don't have a ton of time left, uh, We've already gone over a bit. But We're good, little, man. We're rolling here. It's a fun topic. Do you think that the way we celebrate and we, the way we drink and the way we eat remind us of God's continued blessing in our life through Christ? And how do we get to show our culture what it looks like to celebrate unto the Lord? Good question. I think it does. I think the way we celebrate or don't does show what we think is true of God huh. and our life in Christ. Like absolutely does. Either side of that coin. Okay. Okay. But I think we can celebrate so sort of unto the Lord, right? I think the best example we see this in scripture, 
um, I kind of mentioned it in glancing a minute ago, was where we see wine and celebration used as an image of redemption. And that's with Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana, John yeah. 2, right? Their third day of a wedding party, that's a huge wedding party, right? And they're running out of wine. So Mary, Jesus' mom comes and asks him to help. Jesus asks for jars of water that come, and, they, and you know estimations now on that measurements, maybe 150 gallons of water. Okay. Think about that. That's a lot of wine. That's a whole lot of wine. And it wasn't the bad wine. It was a good wine, right? We right, talked about that. Right. So, so this is three days into it. So they've already finished off the other wine. I don't know how many gallons that was. It wasn't like, well, two bottles of wine in two days, and now 150 gallons. Well, Jesus, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's consuming. something commensurate to the rate of consumption, okay? <laughs> Jesus chooses to do his very first miracle. This is like right out of the ministry box at a celebration, a wedding feast. Mm. And he uses a wedding and wine and celebration as a picture of what's all about to take place in his mm. life and for all of us. Like when his time comes, yeah. he talks about, when Jesus will receive us as a bride and take us into himself and care for us and preserve us and love us forever. And so I think, you know, why is Jesus' first miracle at a wedding around wine and celebration and all that? He wants us to see that any picture of God that we have any picture of his father that we have that does not have at its core as our central understanding of who he is, is a celebration where God's the provider and caregiver and protector, then it's twisted, our, yeah. our, right? He, he, he's, why is that his first miracle? I mean, if it was my first miracle, man, straight to Children's Memorial, let's heal some kids. Yeah, no joke. His whole thing is like, I'm, I'm inaugurating the kingdom. Check it out, it's a party, it's a celebration. Oh, by the way, it's the best you've ever tasted. Yeah. I mean, Which in that culture was different, right? I mean, you'd start with right? the best at that point. I you already had. Yeah. My goodness. And then, and check this out too, by the way. Jesus says that when he returns, like he's doing this at the Last Supper, when he returns, that's when he'll drink a glass of wine with us, right? Wow. Again. So that'll be a crazy celebration. So for all those people out there who are absent, it's like, uh, you know, our denomination, we don't drink. Jesus is coming back to drink a glass of wine with you. Please don't go like, nah, I don't want my pastor to think back. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> like, what you Get done, ready for that. Get the grape juice. But you, do yeah. you see, I mean, do you look at a pattern? So God's made this a pattern yeah. throughout all of human history for his family. Jesus inaugurates his ministry. Boom. He sets this picture of celebration, abundance, the best generosity. He's going, that's what my dad's like. That's what the kingdom's like. Yeah. So when you say like, how do we get to party? Like that. What's our motivation? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's so awesome. Man. Hey, so let's get to the big three. The big three are yep. the three takeaways that we want you to walk away with from this episode. Right three now. Yeah. You won't want to miss these in case you want them written down. You can get a printable PDF of this week's big three and any week's big three by just going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. And you can download right there for free any of the big three points from this episode or any of the other episodes. First one. Uh, don't, don't forget, God loves to celebrate and he loves when we celebrate. Hmm. So we, we, you know, like you said at the beginning, we don't want to just throw out like God loves to party. Yeah. And he wants us to party. Yeah, he actually does. Look at all those festivals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's an important, it's important for us to shift our thinking about our heavenly dad when it comes to celebration and parties. Hmm. So if you've thought like eh, Christians don't do that. And I know plenty of Christians and I, you know, get to travel and train all over the world. <laughs> they go like, oh no. We're forbidden. We can never go into a pub, or we can never go to a party if there's if there's this or that or this going on, right? Yeah, it's like our, the church lady on SNL. <laughs> our God is a God of celebration and joy. Yeah. Like, believe it, believe it, please. God set regular celebrations into the annual and daily calendars of His people, His family, so that they would always live with reminders of who He is and what He's like. And what if we did that more? Huh. Like, what if we just every time we had a party, we were like, okay, what aspect of this party reminds us what God's like and how we yeah. get to live? 
and so that they could demonstrate this then to others and display their trust in his consistency, his goodness, his care, his generosity. That, yeah. That's first. I mean, don't miss that. Love that. He loves to celebrate. He loves when we do. Second, who or what is the focus of your celebration and party? Hmm. That's key. Like ask yourself that. Yeah. Who, what's your focus? You know, when partying in any manner, whatever you're doing, so it doesn't have to be around food or alcohol. It could be like I'm going out and golfing, you know, yeah. but that's my celebration. celebration yeah. I mean, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, well, why, why am I doing this today? Who will be glorified when I'm at this barbecue or am I at the pub tonight? Hmm. The motivation of your heart when celebrating is really the point to remember. And God created you to enjoy him and all of his creation. Remember it said, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah. So ask yourself that who's getting the glory here tonight? And then third, I just gotta say, Christians need to party more. I agree. I gotta do it. Big three. That's big, the big, big of the big three, right? Yeah. Christians should be seen as the most celebratory people in the world, man. I mean, God, can we get to live forever? For sure. Come on. If anyone's got the good We're news, redeemed. man. We should yeah. be party animals. Yeah. Or more specifically, you should be the most celebratory people in your neighborhood or at work. Okay. Sure. But taking things that God created good and, and he created everything good at the beginning and then using them for our own glory or abusing them, that's at the root of all sin. Yeah. But like we talked about, fearful abstinence misses the heart of God by a mile. Hmm. So God, we need to party more. Be generous. Be the bringer of the better wine per se, like Jesus. So when you party, when you go to a party, when someone invites you, party hard, bring killer food, stick around, help them clean up the mess. <laughs> That's also a picture of the gospel, right? <laughs> so regularly gathering community, not just in rows, share stories, celebrate, do all the cool stuff together. Invite everybody you know. Okay, that's it for today. That was fun getting Heath back into the party with us, so to speak. Now, I'm going on the road doing some training the next couple of weeks, and I'm going to introduce you to some great leaders, some great disciple makers, and what they're doing to live out the gospel and be a blessing to their city and community in a big way. These are some great folks. Can't wait for you to meet them. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.